0: platform listeners, Rachel from Clevu here. Clevu has recently helped Puma increase search-led conversion by 53%. We've also just introduced a host of new features as part of the Clevu AI product discovery suite. Get a demo at clevu.com.
1: Welcome back to the Replatform podcast. Thanks again for listening in. It's myself, James. and joined as always by my co-host, Paul Rogers. How you doing, mate?
0: I'm good. Thank you. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm glad. Another sunny day. Looking forward to sitting inside my office and staring out at a world that I could be enjoying. (laughs) <laughs> um, so today we are talking about the pros and cons of custom-built platforms versus taking market-leading platforms. Uh, so an interesting topic because technology selection is a burning challenge for most businesses when they're looking at what they're doing with their e-commerce stack. And our mantra on this podcast is no platform is perfect. Each technology stack has its own set of pros and cons. The technology decisions you make impact operational efficiency. They impact resourcing. And there's been a growth in popularity of things like headless commerce, and that's led to some emerging and fast-growth brands looking to bring elements of development in-house, typically the front-end part, the experience layer, and that changes the demands in terms of how uh, technology will be used, but also how, how business businesses need to work in order to make the most out of that technology investment. So what we want to do today is explore the implications of these decisions, and who better to talk to than a respected e-commerce leader who's worked for multiple uh, brands, both in big growth phases and large established brands direct experience of delivering e-commerce great on bespoke and off-the-shelf packages so really good practical insights we're going to be getting today so welcome to the podcast the one and only matt curry hello good how night. are you sir
2: i'm all right thank you very much day off today uh my actually it apparently the weather's going to turn pretty nasty in a few days so i'm going to enjoy it as much as possible
1: Excellent. So what's the plans for you today down in Bristol? What are you going to get up to? Uh, I'm going to
2: go up onto my roof and clear some leaves um, and then I have errands to do and then I'm going to have a nice walk around
1: the side. Leaves and errands. You live on the edge, man. I
2: know, right? <laughs> rock and roll.
1: <laughs> this is rock and roll e-commerce, folks. Thanks for Thank tuning you. in. Um, so for those uh, listening who don't yet know you or haven't had the pleasure of listening to you talk at an industry event, could you introduce yourself and um, what you do?
2: Yes, of course. Um, So, uh, hello, Uh, I'm Matt Curry, and I've been working in e-commerce since 2001, possibly? Um, I started way back in the day a company called Appetito, um, which is a a massive German frozen food company. Um, And uh, one of their subsidiaries um, in the UK is a a brand called Wilshire Farm Foods, which is a very strange brand and it's essentially private Meals on Wheels. Um, And one of my my early e-commerce tasks was to build uh, uh, essentially a purchasing platform um, for these for these Meals on Wheels, where the the average user was about 85, if I remember correctly, Um, which brings its its own unique UX challenges with it. And this is this is back in the early days. Um, of e-commerce, and so uh, one of the things I'm, I'm most known for well, from the time um, was in terms of, of user testing and user research, uh, me and a guy called Paul Boag um, would literally drive around um, and visit uh, customers in their homes to, to look how, at how they used the website in, in a natural environment, as it were. I'm not sure you'd be able to do such a thing today. Um, but, which is very different than doing user testing in a lab. Um, for example, um, Classic is, is essentially the the, the checkout button or, or the, the view basket button. Um, you know, you normally put it in the top right-hand corner, um, but we discovered with our audience, that's also where they put the post-it note for the password for their computer. Um, so you don't realize that actually, you know, this post-it note is is covering uh, the CTA of your site, um, and from from there, um, I did a, a few talks um, about about that that experience. Uh, one of them was in Dusseldorf, and weirdly, uh, Neil, one of the founders of Love Honey, um, listened to that talk and pretty much stalked me uh, online for a year, saying, uh, "You know, I." We, we run a, a sex toy company. Um, we have some user, uh, you know, user experience issues. We'd really like you to, to take a look. Um, and so I, I did a short presentation to them uh, called, called The Fear, um, because I went through the, the purchasing journey uh, on, on the Love Honey website as it was at the time. And I pointed out 17 instances of fear uh, that they instill in the customer who is who is pretty jittery already. So so your, your typical kind of sex toy purchaser um, has this is the first time they've done it. Um, they're, they're scared of multiple things. they're definitely scared of you know a massive pink box um, with the word sex toys written on it will arrive at their doorstep. Um, and, and they did they were trying to allay these fears on the site, but all they were doing were introducing fears that people hadn't thought of um, on on their site. And so I said, you know, even, even on, on the uh, the main checkout page, you've got you've got 17 bits of information telling people to worry about stuff. So so let's let's test removing all of that and just letting people get through the process as quickly as possible. Uh, And and they tested that, um, massively improved conversion, and and then they asked me to start working for them. Um, And so I was at Love Honey for nigh on 10 years. um, And then uh, Love Honey was eventually sold to a a Swiss investment firm, um, did all that. Uh, and then I decided, I decided to to essentially drop out of the e-commerce limelight um, for a bit. There's several reasons for that. Um, I'd, I'd done a lot of public speaking, um, certainly in the, the kind of the, the last few years of my time at Love Honey, and I found myself becoming a bit of a, a dancing monkey uh, for for agencies and, and third-party systems, which was it started to make me feel a bit a bit kind of ill at ease. Um, And also, once once your name kind of gets known in e-commerce circles, you get approached by a lot of vendors and a lot of salespeople, and your your name gets on lists. And I found myself, the breaking point for me, I think, was when I got called by a salesperson at half past nine at night um, asking to set up a demo.
1: Oof.
2: Yeah, I know, right?
1: That's like not, not acceptable on any level, is it? On,
2: on my mobile, they, they called me, um, and so I thought I thought no, I need to I need to step away from this this crazy e commerce world, and just do something that I enjoy, um, and so and so yeah, I've joined uh, a company called Graham and Green, which is uh, a very fancy upmarket uh, furniture retailer. A lot smaller than the than, than Love Honey was when I left it, um, but about the size that Love Honey was when I joined Love Honey. So, so hoping to uh, hoping to duplicate the same successes. It's a very different market, very different challenges, um, very different culture of business, uh, but we are slowly getting there. And that's me.
1: Excellent. That's, I love that. That's been a lovely bit of storytelling from sex toys to furniture. It's a logical <laughs> <question>. <laughs> From frozen
2: food um, to sex toys to furniture.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. So let's get cracking with some questions for you. Oh. Uh, sir. So um, yeah, you've got experience of own built platforms. Love Honey, the business built out its own uh, technology. Um, I believe now it's now using Salesforce. It is, yes. What would be really interesting about, can you talk us uh, uh, through how Love Honey approached systems architecture and the technologies decisions it made?
2: Sure. Well, Love Honey, um, certainly at the time, the the founders have now moved on to live their life golfing on yachts. Um, But at the time, Love Honey was a a very techno business. Um, It was founded by uh, two guys, Richard and Neil, who both came from um, Future Publishing, which is another big business in Bath. Um, And uh, one of their friends, Jeff, um, who was a a cold fusion developer that they knew, Essentially, built the site on on Cold Fusion, which is you know for people who've been around for a while, um, Cold Fusion is very much a blast from the past. Um, was part of the the Adobe suite for a while, but is largely a, a dead language. Um, but yes, uh, essentially, Love Honey was built on a very antiquated system. It was it was sticking plasters on sticking plasters, um, but it worked, and that's the thing. It, it worked very very well. It was very bespoke to us. Um, the, the platform uh, itself was called, well, it was called Jibber and occasionally it was called Chimp. No one really had a name for it, um, but it was, it was Cold Fusion on top of SQL, largely. Uh, and that, that brought its own challenges um, in that Cold Fusion developers are essentially gold dust, um, especially in, in the Southwest Codefusion developers are, are few and far between, and I, I probably know each of them individually now. Um, and so when it came to, to building new features, we were very much stymied by how much Codefusion developer resource we had. Um, about, about five years into my tenure, we decided to, it would slowly migrate over to a, a microservices infrastructure. Um, and then you, you mentioned headless. we were exploring that. Um, just to just so that we weren't so beholden to having to find cold fusion developers all the time who are, who are yes, few and far between and therefore very rare and very expensive. Um, other than that, in terms of kind of third-party uh, integrations, we didn't have many. A lot of the times we would, we would essentially invent invent our own technology. Um, a lot of a lot of reinventing the wheel, um, but we found that ultimately total cost of ownership um, was significantly less if we just built it ourselves um, rather than having to go to a third party and and pay account manager fees and all that sort of stuff.
0: Great, and um, and what were some of the kind of operational benefits for your team? Like what what got you excited um, as kind of the ecom director or leading in the ecom channel?
2: Well, with with love, honey, the the excitement is about the user, if if anything, because it's 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 still the wild west to some extent, um, or was it the time because no one was selling this stuff properly. You you had Ann Summers who essentially wrapped the whole thing in a you know we mostly sell you know scratchy underwear and, and occasionally toys. You had boots who essentially put them in, in a weird sexual health category and made it very clinical, um, or people who just who just went down kind of the, the X-rated angle with it all. Um, and we thought, well, we will approach this as if we are selling consumer electronics. And so... What does that entail? OK, so that entails an awful lot of metadata. That entails a lot of instruction. Um, people, people don't know about these things, largely. they, they you know, A lot of people have never even seen one, um, let alone kind of you know, know, know how it works. And so why don't we approach this as if we were selling uh, a TV? And so with a TV, you know, you've got certain inputs and outputs, you know, you've got uh, measurements, you've got all this stuff. So why don't we go on a metadata binge, exhaustively catalog everything you could ever want to know about this stuff? Do... Uh, video demonstrations um, of, of you know is this waterproof well let's have a tank of water and, and show someone putting it into a tank of water and, and turning it on how loud is it can we can we get demonstrate that in some way um that's where the that's where the excitement was is how can we normalize this stuff and uh, a good example of, of normalization we we actually had a project um we actually called it hyper-normalization. And you know uh, when you're, you're looking at um, uh, a product on a site that, that has limited stock and you get those little uh, pop up saying, you know, 24 other people are looking at this product right now. Um, we use that technology to to normalize the product in that thinking, well, you know, yes, you're looking at this. You're not, you're not a weirdo by looking at this. Lots of other people are interested in this as well. So so that's where the excitement came in is how can we use technology for other purposes than what it was intended for um it is it's it's very exciting it's very wild west and it's it's just a fun environment to work in
0: great and um and how did the platform cope with the international side of things like did you essentially build out a multi store architecture um or did you kind of have the stores existing independently
2: well, with Love Honey, Love Honey at the start wasn't just Love Honey. Love Honey was a collection of businesses. So you had uh, the Love Honey website. You had uh, a Hen night business, Hen Knight HQ. Um, we had a lingerie business. Um, we had various... I uh, don't want to swear on your podcast. Um, various salubrously named businesses... Uh, also selling sex toys to different uh, demographics of the community. Um, and so there are lots of websites running off the same platform. And the way that Jeff uh, built the platform in that if you wanted to spin up a new website, essentially there was a big red button um, in, in jibber that you could press and that would create a new instance of the platform. Um, and with that, you've got all the, the localization features. Essentially, every piece of copy on the website is held in a, uh, a properties file. And so if you wanted to create Love Honey Italy, you'd, you'd press that big button um, and then send off your, your English properties file off to a translation agency, input back what they, you get back from them, and ding dong, you have your international website.
1: Was it re- was it really that simple? That makes it sound unbelievably uh, un- simple. Compared to <laughs> it, it, so, it, it, but, you know, there is there is always stress
2: there because there's yeah. sometimes there's geographic uh, differences. Yeah. Um. So so two two main ge- geographic differences. Obviously, payment methods. Um. You know, in in Germany, they've got uh. You know, invoice after receipt and and all that gubbins. Um. Also, Love Honey's tone of voice and language is very jokey and sometimes relies on pop culture references. And so you would send those off to the translation agency and yes, they would translate them, but they then wouldn't make sense to to a native speaker of that language, if that makes sense. So um, if if your copy refers to Timmy Mallet, People in Italy don't know who Timmy Mallet is, so so there's 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 weirdness around that. But if you just just creating a new instance of the site, that wasn't hard at all. It was the going through almost line by line with a native speaker um, and saying, you know, a is this right? And then something like microcopy, um, you know, proceed to checkout in German is you know. Obviously, being German, it's fifteen words long, um, and so that won't fit on your button. And so there's just bits like that you have to take care of.
1: And in terms, um, one of one of the things that people always get nervous about with custom build is the performance reliability. You know, you, you buy into a SaaS platform like Shopify, you know that that's that's covered at the application level. How fast can businesses truly really be with custom build? Like, do, do, does it does the technology enable you to to really get the fastest possible sites?
2: I would say well i mean in terms of what i have experience with um Markshire farm foods was was custom built by by an external agency love honey was all in house and graham and green on magento too um, my experience with magento too is that there is a lot of uh chaff in that code there's a lot of unnecessary gumph um because being being a being a uh, essentially off-the-shelf platform it has a lot of stuff that you don't use, and you don't need. It's, it's not part of your business, but it's so ingrained in the code that you you have to spend ages just like picking it apart. Um, when you're building it yourself, you're you're building it specifically for your business needs, so you don't have you don't have all that extra extra bits, um, and so it it can be blazingly fast. Because I mean, I mean, even if you if you look at the Magento two code that gets burped out, there's there's stuff in there that that we would never touch with a barge pole and so and so I'd say if you you know when you're building it yourself if anything you can make that that system faster
1: and how about like um, speed of execution for a business um so I guess when you're building it yourself you've also got you have all the technical skills in-house yes does that Improve efficiency for speed to you know speed to market for new features, or does it just change the bottleneck because sometimes you end up with a skills gap and you need to upskill that's, on a specific area?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Obviously, with the off the shelf platform, there's there's modules and there's I think in Salesforce world it's cartridges. So you can always just go out and go to the marketplace and say, right, who el- who has done this already, um, and, and plumb that in. But what I found is that even then those those plugins and modules and cartridges don't take into account uh, some stuff that will need co- manually coding anyway. Good example of this, um, uh, Google Pay. Google Pay and PayPal Express and, and all that stuff. Um, we, we implemented that uh, ooh, probably about eight months ago on Grand Green. Um, and that was a that was a, a module that that we plumbed in, um, and you think, well, that that should be fine. It just shows a button, someone presses the button, that's the order paid for. But what it doesn't do is look at any form of address verification logic. So someone pays by by Google Pay or, or PayPal Express, um, whatever nonsense they have as the address on their PayPal account gets brought in and. That module has no, you know, has no function to to verify that address. Is it, is it you know, 150 characters? Has, have they got a surname? Have they got weird characters in it? And so you end up having to code that bit anyway, which ends up probably being more expensive than if you just built that bit of code yourself. It's it's I I wasn't when I when I started working with Magento, I, I wasn't expecting it to be like that. I thought I expected it to be plug and play. And I thought, oh, this is great. I don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. I can just look at the UX and the marketing and start start building the brand. But there's so many shortfalls in these in these off the shelf modules. Um I'm getting to the point where I think, well, well, maybe we don't go to the marketplace as our as our first port of call, we look at would it be easier to build it in-house? And and that's that's something that we're actually doing now. We're we're looking at a, a loyalty scheme. Um, and obviously there's lots of, of third party loyalty schemes and you can it right APIs and all sorts of stuff. Um, and ultimately it was cheaper if if we just build it ourselves.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. I think, um, yeah, Magento definitely isn't plug and play, and I, I totally hear a lot of what you're saying there. Um, and I guess going back to when you were on the custom platform, at Love Honey, um, what technical resources did you have in your team, and what do you think are critical to be working with a custom platform?
2: I mean, that's, I mean, working at Love Honey. Love Honey's tech setup was was amazing in that within the technical team, you had the the project management office, um, and that there were obviously your your PMs and your business analysts. And then you had the uh, QA team, a team of about six uh, testers, and then you had front-end, back-end, and sysops. And that's probably the thing that I miss the most is having project managers and business analysts um, because they're now hats that I have to wear. Meanwhile, I'm busy trying to also look after the marketing and the analytics. And so, when you're, you know, when you when you have a custom uh, platform and you have your in-house tech team, you have someone whose job it is to figure out edge cases. In, in agency off the shelf land, essentially you've got you and you've got your development agency who only really have an account manager and someone who shuffles around Jira tickets. You don't have that PM and BA process um, because they you know the agency, bless them, they don't know about the idiosyncrasies of your business as well as someone who was actually in the business would know. And so, and so that's what I find I miss the most is someone who who can find a can of worms before developers have put their fingers to keyboards. Um, and certainly, if if I could rebuild rebuild the world that I live in slightly, um, I would have an internal technical resource at Graham and Green who aided project management because I am a terrible project manager. I'll tell you that I. I I get too involved in doing the work myself, um, but also a, a, a BA who can go through and say, well, actually, uh, you know, this doesn't work for the purchasing team, for example, because the way that they input product data isn't the same that this third party that you want to work with needs that product data. Um, some, those, those sorts of uh, findings happen too late in the process now. And I think that's that's the key thing that I miss from Love Honey is is having that that analyst resource to find out these things in advance.
1: Yeah, and a lot of the projects I work on, uh, I always advise people to have analysts in because especially where business process mapping is really, really poor, you end up compromising so much in in the development cycle if you haven't properly understood that end-to-end flow. Um,
2: With the the Graham & Green website, um, Graham & Green is a very visually-led business. and the website reflects that in that it's, it's, it's a very pretty website. But back end wise, it's it's a, a mess of, of manual processes, there is literally a file that has to be uploaded every single day to maintain the, the stock status of configurable products, for example, because that was one of these processes when you know I inherited the website, but that was when the, one of the processes when the website was being built that got overlooked because there was no business analyst, and so my my key development um, hat at the moment is putting in what I call quality of life improvements, so things that you know reduce and you know remove any manual processes, hmm. um, stop people having to hawkishly. Check things in case they've fallen over. You know, we're not doing any front end development anymore or any new features. We're just improving the quality of life for the people who have to run the site.
1: Yeah, coming back to the custom build thing, so some of those advantages where you've got like richer, um, uh, like operational uh, team resources around the BAS, the PMs, etc. Um, so we talked about some of the benefits in agility and the clean, how clean the code base can be. Let's look at the the opposite side. The, what are the frustrations? Because nothing's ever perfect. So, what are the key frustrations or limitations you found where you have a custom build versus a platform that's maintained for you?
2: Um,
1: I would say,
2: well, the, the the key con is that you are having to invent the wheel, reinvent the wheel each time. Um, often, I would be told that something isn't possible, um, and and I would go back to my my. <laughs> we can somehow we can land a probe on a comet um and yet we can't integrate with this third party why is that um yeah you're, you're having to you're having to reinvent the wheel each time and start from scratch each time there was also obviously with with cold fusion there's a there's a lack of developer resource issue there um but there, I mean, in terms of cons there wasn't there wasn't masses the o- the only real issue was um was when that Love Honey was sold, uh, the investors essentially didn't want to have a business that had a bespoke platform um, because it's it's an unknown quantity, it's a it's an, an unknown variable in the business, and and you know we had a, a limited number of developers who knew how it all worked with with an off the shelf platform. There's an entire you know people know how Magento works. They may not know how all of it works, but you know, people know how bits of it work. Um, with our platform, maybe me and a couple of Cold Fusion developers actually knew how it came together. And so, you know, if, if the number nine bus sped around the corner, um, a bit too quick, uh, suddenly, there would be an awful lot of knowledge loss. And, and that is the danger that you have with when you're building it yourself especially if if you you have like a, a systems lead and that system lead goes knowledge goes with them and and that's I think that was a a weakness that the new investors into love honey you know they they couldn't they couldn't have that um, which is why eventually love honey went to Salesforce
0: so you now work with Magento, and you've already talked about some of the challenges and we've both talked about it definitely not being plug and play um what have been the benefits like there are things with Magento that you've been impressed with or things that have worked particularly well um since you started working with it um well
2: certainly with Magento, occasionally i am surprised by the things that come out of the box um Obviously, you know coming from, coming from uh, a custom platform, if I said right, I need to implement uh, a, a store credit feature. Um, I would I would write up a, a quick terms of reference for that and pass it to a BA and a BA would give me a frowny face, scratch their head and toddle off to a developer to see if it's even possible. Um, store credit comes out of the box with Magento. Um, yes, it needs some customization, but largely it's all there. And I think I think that's what's that's what surprised me. And I think that that's you know, if you run a particularly vanilla business, an off-the-shelf platform is is perfectly good for you. Um, it I don't think it will be the fastest, but every every bit of your business should largely be covered. Um, and I think I think that's that's the benefit of. Of certainly Magento. Again, that comes with the downside in that if you don't use that function, um, you either have to pay a developer to strip that module out or you just live with it. Um but but yeah, that's you know, you you click around the, the Magento backend and there's a lot of stuff in there that you could potentially go, oh yes, I could use that feature at some point in the future.
1: And you've also, I guess, uh, operational-wise, it's a shift because you've gone from having an in-house team with those resources like the BA, um, you know, the PMs, et cetera, and you work with an agency. Uh, so what, how have you found that? What, what are the key kind of like um, differences? Uh, and have you had to adapt to working with an agency versus I've got an internal team that I go through to get everything executed?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of similarities as well. Um, it seems that I will never escape JIRA in my entire life. <laughs> um but yeah obviously there's there's still development tickets that have to be done um there's there's one thing that has reasonably um frustrated me in that and I can only speak of the experience with the the agency um that we use but there's definitely a lack of granularity in the the ticket process so within um love honey within within their um atlassian system um, there are very distinct phases that a, a ticket goes through. So you've got, you've got your spec, you've got your refinement, you've got your spec sign-off, um, you've got your development doing, development done, uh, peer code review, peer code review done, uh, QA, UAT, that, and then it gets released. Um, but essentially, there's, there's almost like a lack of transparency when you're working with a third third-party agency because I can't can't see the peer code review. I can't see the internal testing. Tickets just go from dev doing to UAT. And so what I often find is that 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 almost adds extra extra onus on me because I don't know what has been tested. I don't know if like complete unit testing has been done for this particular development. With, With an internal team, if something Kind of has been passed to me, and it's clearly not ready. I can just like stomp down to the QA team and saying, "Right, who QA'd this? Why was this passed?" Um, and with a third-party agency, I, I'm I'm not getting that. And so, and so, yeah, that's that's the, that's the thing that I would probably most demand. And and I've asked I've asked our agency to make those changes. Um, is is the lack of visibility of the different stages of development. Um, the other the other kind of key frustration is that with when I have an internal team, um, I knew I could throw pretty much anything at them, and they would they would figure out how to do it. With the agency, what I'm expecting because you're paying you're paying more money for this service. It's it's always going to be more expensive to have an agency ultimately than doing it in-house. So what I'm I'm paying the extra for is the knowledge and the expertise. And so what I'm expecting is when I throw a problem over the wall to the agency, for them to have experienced that problem before. Um, The the, the Apple Pay and Google Pay and, and PayPal Express is a good example of that. Because the issue with the the uh, address verification, um, I would have expected that have, to have been identified quickly because they've they've done this before. They've put in Apple Pay before on other clients, and you know we're not we're not the only people to to need like addresses properly formatted for a system. And so and so that's kind of my key frustration at the moment. Um, in that the agency are very much acting as if they are just developers. What I need is for someone who has done this before to do this work. Um, Another example, data layers. Um, uh, When when I started uh, Graham and Green, the, the website didn't have a data layer at all. Um, and all the the tracking was done via via a module. You you plumb in a, a a Google API module into Magento, and it'll it'll push off all the stuff up to um, up to GA. But you know, if anyone anyone knows me from e-commerce land, I am a massive GTM fiddler. Um, I will I will hack websites together using GTM very very happily. And so I needed a proper data layer. And I and I kind of put the spec saying, right, you know, I need like the, the W3C standard e-commerce data layer putting into this website. And and even with Magento, Magento works asynchronously. So I couldn't so even if the data layer was put in, I couldn't really trust the data because say you looked at a product, I would get a product view added to the, the data layer, and then you know several microseconds later, I would then get the product data itself. And so if I was firing an event on product view, the product data would be empty at that time. And there's, there's little idiosyncrasies like that, um, that I find very frustrating. And it feels like because people, certainly with agencies, they're, they're putting in essentially the, the standard solution, if that makes sense for the problem rather than actually looking at what is trying to be done. Um, I'm probably talking around in circles here.
0: No, no, I think I think that takes me very nicely onto the next question. And I guess that's a really interesting one in particular as to like, I would say that's quite an interesting gray area for a replatforming project as to whether that falls under a development agency. But as you say, like if someone considers themselves an e-commerce agency, you probably expect them to have some of that skill set internally. Mm-hmm. And I, and I guess then my next question is, what to you is the ideal role of, a, of an agency? Like, do, do you think it's a case of, you know, if you're working with an e-commerce agency, all of this should be available to you? Or do you prefer the route of actually bringing in a really specialist development team um, and then having a series of, or yeah a number of experts kind of around that development team?
2: I like to be challenged. Um, I, I hate falling into a role um, in my in my professional life, where I am just telling developers to do stuff, um, and so what I would expect from an e-commerce agency is not someone who just develops an e-commerce site, because anyone can develop a site. It's it's not hard. You have a you have a listing of products, you have a product, someone can add that to basket, and then someone can buy that product. That is not, that is not a hard process to code. What I want from an e-commerce agency is someone who looks at this is a terrible word the holistic level of e-commerce. So someone who looks-
1: holistic. I think we have to put the buzzer out.
2: I know, right? <laughs> Rattlesnake shade noise. Um, so so yes, yeah, someone who looks at the entire. The entire function of e-commerce because e-commerce isn't just selling a product on a website. It's everything from uh, feeds management of those products because your website isn't the only only place that your products exist. Um, someone who looks at the the CRM side of things. So what information is being passed from your e-commerce platform through to your CRM platform? Maybe maybe they're one and one in the same platform. Um, uh things like testing so so how is data being fed up to the testing engine so the testing engine can make decisions about what experience to deliver to the user um if if your if your agency is just a development agency it's you as the e-commerce manager who is having to dictate this stuff if you have an e-commerce agency the e-commerce agency can then bring with them the best practice for the platform that you're on to be able to do these functions. And I think that's that's some of the frustration that I've had, and what I've I've certainly missed having is someone going ah so so you know the reason I wanted to put the data layer into gray and green is so that I could run um, Google Optimize because in in love honey world we've had maxim well, what was maximizer um, we had monetate and those are both very uh, data-layer-driven personalization and testing systems. And so I wanted to put in Google Optimize. Gremgin has never had a testing suite, so I wanted to just stick in in ultimately what is theoretically a free product but really isn't, um, to be able to do some testing. And to be able to do that, you need to have the data layer incorrectly. Um, But instead of the agency saying, ah, well, if you want to do testing, there is, a, there is a better way for doing testing on Magento. There are these systems, they understand the asynchronicity um, and the granularity and the modularity of Magento. So instead of using Google Optimize, maybe look at this system. But what I got instead was essentially a, a very clumsy data layer that I'm now trying to figure out how to use with Google Optimize. And, and that is the key difference between a development agency that just does what they're told and an e-commerce agency that then will advise you on the best solution for the thing that you want to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a good distinction, isn't it? There are different styles of agency and depending on the resources they have, different levels of service they'll provide. Um, and somebody can be an absolutely phenomenal developer, but if they don't understand the business absolutely. context, they won't know what they should be building. Yeah. Um, I've got a question kind of related to this action. I think you know we talked about this a bit before we um, we agreed to do the podcast, which is about the hybrid models that are coming into play. That a lot yeah. more businesses seem to be going down the route where they invest in a off-the-shelf platform, Magento, Shopify, BigCommerce—you name it. But that they take ownership of some of the development work in-house, so they have more control and flexibility. And an increasingly, like the headless stack is supporting mm-hmm. this, so people take our front end. Like, where do you see that hybrid model working? And do you think retailers are really ready to take on that challenge?
2: It, it depends on the type of retailer. Um,
1: <clears throat> I don't think it
2: would be something that would work, um, at Graham and Green, because Graham and Green is is not a technical company at all. Um, if if there are technical people at board level for that business, not including the CTO, if if the marketing person is is technical and data-led, for example, um, I think that approach would work well. The the issue is when you have a a culture of the business where development is is essentially an ugly stepchild, um, a, a, a sort of necessary evil, um, then that approach won't work. With with Love Honey, the the geeky techiness was sort of ingrained because you know pretty much everyone who worked at that business could at least you know write a bit of HTML. Even the you know like like you know most people in that business had some technical skill because it was everyone was just nerds at Love Honey, and I think largely they're still a bunch of nerds. Um, but if you are if you are a marketing driven um, salesy business, I'm not sure that would work because it requires you to to want to push boundaries a bit. The only reason that you would have an internal development resource is if you weren't vanilla, if you want to do something new and exciting. Um, but there's, there's challenges with that as well, because ultimately, if you have a hybrid model, you will still need some form of agency development or, or agency resource for certain things. Um, a good example of this, um, where you work with multiple development agencies, there tends to be a lot of finger pointing. When you have multiple development agencies, they, they tend to blame each other um, if something goes wrong. Uh, And're actually not even in development. if you have any sort of multiple agencies working on something, they will happily blame each other. But what, what I put in at Love Honey because obviously we had our internal developers. We had um, uh, UX developers, we had uh, like a third party UX system. Um, we had obviously the testing developers. So if we wanted to do uh, a very large test, that would actually be developed externally. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the internal developers, if something goes wrong, they, their, their first finger point would be at the external testing agency for doing something wrong. And so what I had was that the, Q, the internal QA team also had to QA anything that was done externally, as well. So, so the actual ownership of it was still internal. Um, and I would say that's that's what you have to do. If you have any sort of hybrid model, you still have to have a single point of ownership for the code base, um, and uh, otherwise, you know, you, you're being pulled in in fifteen different directions. But yes, so going going back to kind of the, the hybrid model, I think it will I think it will start to grow, um, especially if you just if you just want development done. Um, it is much cheaper to have you know, developers sitting a few yards, well, not during a pandemic, but as developers sitting somewhere two meters away from you, um, coding the website to your specifications rather than going through an agency.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, I think that makes perfect sense. I think that the key thing that businesses definitely need to think about is that resource and implication, because with it comes different skill sets that you need. And if you don't have anyone who's got any experience of engineering, you might get some good developers, but not have the right processes and structures.
2: There's, there's all sorts of questions about what, what should be hybrid and what shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, data science, for example, is, is that better done through an agency, or is it better to have internal? resource for that. But the problem is, well, we're, you know, Graham and Green's based down in Bath. You know, data scientists are, are few and far between geographically. I mean, if, if your business is based in London, you you're probably have a much easier um, way of going hybrid than, than someone outside of London.
1: Yes. Yeah, very good point. Um, that's been really interesting. We, we've uh, we've asked all the uh, annoying questions that we want to ask you, uh, <laughs> Mr. Curry. So I've really enjoyed listening to your perspective and I think there's some, some good tangible insights for people to understand some of the nuances of of bespoke versus platform and, and, and the hybrid side of things. If somebody wants to pick your brain a bit more, what's the best way to reach out?
2: Uh, I am on Twitter, at Massy Curry. I, I rarely tweet about e-commerce. Um, I will warn you as I said I'm kind of purposely taking a step back Um, but I I am always there to uh, pick my brains if necessary Uh, at Matty with a y curry also with a y.
1: Yes we'll tweet about transformers won't tweet about e-commerce.
2: Absolutely 100%. (laughs) Excellent
1: fantastic you know thanks taking your time to share uh, those insights. Um, I'm sure it's been valuable and interesting, and it's always entertaining to listen to you speak. Uh, and thanks to everyone who's who joined us today to listen. So keep an eye out for next week's episode in our series on e-commerce technology decisions. We're going to be focused on omnichannel commerce, uh, technology and processes with Graham Brunfield and David Williams. If you haven't subscribed, please do so um, now. Uh, get alerts for new, uh, future episodes. And do let anybody else know you think might be interested. Thanks very much.